0: Uh, get started this morning if you have your Bible or a smartphone something you'll be looking at the text with us we're gonna be in first Samuel chapter 12 first uh, Samuels um, towards the the front half of your Old Testament first Samuel chapter 12 as you're turning or typing i um, just a, a brief word of recap first um, Samuel is a historical book that is teaching um, theology at the same time as it walks through um, a portion of the story of Israel. Um, we are roughly in the year 1000 BC, um, about a, a, thousand, a thousand years prior to Christ, about 3,000 years removed from where we are now. And Samuel, the, the book specifically, is walking us through the transition from Israel being ruled by judges and kind of loose a federation of the 12 tribes into a monarchy um, where there's going to be a king. Right, and so we're looking at what that means for the people as they interact with God. Um, we're looking at um, men like Samuel and Saul and David um, and their, their complexity, the fact that they are both sinners and those who are, are following God, right? some to a greater extent than others, Right, some um, who in the end will not follow at all. And so last week we have seen that Saul has been placed as king, he has been privately confirmed, he has been publicly affirmed, and now he's won his first battle as king and ruler of Israel, um, and so now there's kind of a, a unanimous affirmation of him. Um, prior to Saul's ascent to king, we had Samuel as, as the national leader, as a prophet and as a judge, um, who was offended on behalf of God because the people have rejected God's kingship and have said we wanted a man to lead us like the nations. And, and so we're seeing that the king is going to be, to some degree, a judgment on the people. And so let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 12 um, as we continue, remembering at the end of 11 that the people are celebrating that Saul um, is having one of, one of his high-water high moments here. Verse 1 of chapter 12. So Samuel said to all of Israel... Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you've said to me, and I've made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. Behold, my sons are with you, and I've walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before His anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whom, whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it. Testify against me and I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians Egyptians oppressed them, your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the, into the hand of Caesarea, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Asheroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel, better known as Gideon, and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him, Obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. If both you and the King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, if you rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your King. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your, before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, what you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking for yourselves a king. And so Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For if we had added to all of our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king... And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside from empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they're empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make for you a people, make of you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord, by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Alright, so we have in chapter 12 a transition piece, right? We are really seeing the transition firmly, fully, and, and, and lastly, from the period of the judges to the monarch. And what might initially appear as a retirement speech from Samuel is not, right? Samuel is laying down the role of judge because he is the last judge. That role is now done and he is passed on to Saul, who is going to be the king, who's going to be kind of the national prominent voice, the one that carries the weight upon his shoulders, which Samuel has done for the majority of his life, um, knowing that he was raised from a child to serve the Lord has been a prophet and a judge, who's been a military leader. He is going to continue to serve as a prophet. He's going to continue to play that role. But now, kind of the the leader of Israel is Saul. And so this is less of a retirement and more of a, a transition. The question that we should have in chapter 12, right, as we've seen that Samuel has faithfully followed and trusted the Lord and led the people, is this is Saul going to lean on him, right? As the one who is the prophet of the Lord, who speaks on behalf of God, who hears directly from God, and who has led the people well for a lifetime, will the younger Saul look to the older, wiser, godly Samuel and say, hey, I need you as an advisor. I need you to lead me. I need you to teach me. I need you to guide me. Or will he, will he ignore that voice, right? Right? And so First Samuel 12 just kind of leaves us going, okay, Samuel's not gone, and as we move forward, how is Saul going to utilize or not utilize Samuel, who has been a, a, a godly prophetic, a healthy leader, um, a godly prophetic voice and a healthy leader for the nation of Israel. The second thing we see here in chapter 12 is this, is that we really have kind of a, a, a picture of a courtroom scene. Right, where initially Samuel is putting himself on trial before the people. Right? We see this in the first five or six verses where he just kind of sets up and goes, listen, hey, we're, as we transition today, I want it to be said before all the people, if I have sinned against you, if I have wronged you, right? and he just begins to lay out some things. He's like, listen, if I've turned a blind eye to justice, which I haven't offered it to all, but only to a select few, say it now. If I've defrauded you, if I've taken from you something that wasn't to be taken, say it now. He says, Listen, if I have if I have taken a bribe, right, and, and in taking a bribe, what he's referring to is he's it's favoring the rich, right? Those who could pay a bribe. That he's taken from the rich to judge against the poor. So he's saying, Listen, across all the ways, if, if there's any group of people, any type of person, if any individual, if I have not judged Fairly, I want you to speak now and say it. And the people say with one voice, You, have, you've, you haven't done these things, right? Like, as God is our witness, as, as the king is our witness, you have not defrauded us, in verse 4, oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. Right? They're judging the work of Samuel, and they are not saying he's perfect, but they're saying that he has served his role and his people well. Right? Again we're we're being set up for a comparison and a contrast now of, now what what is the king going to look like? Is the king going to be able to say this in the end of his life? Because what was one of the warnings that Samuel gave to the people? He's like, listen, if you want a king, if you get a king, what's he going to do? He's going to take your land, he's going to take your animals, he's going to take your kids, to build an army, to build an infrastructure, to, to build a kingdom. Right to, to pay for these things. He's going to take these things and Samuel is instead saying, I've not done those things. I haven't done it. I've simply I've served you. And I've, I've obeyed the Lord. And, and you think, man, that was a quick court scene. But there's a second one. So we go from Samuel kind of being on, in the hot seat and now God's on the hot seat. Right? As we continue, look at uh, verse 6. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness. Basically, the people of God have made an accusation against God. What's the accusation? We want a king. When they said we want a king, what are they saying about God? You're not. You're not a a good king. You're not enough of a king. We need something more. And what they wanted, right, is a hero. They wanted someone who looked more like them. They wanted someone to, to calm the social chaos of all the tribes, everyone just kind of doing whatever they wanted. They wanted someone to go out and fight their battles when God has done this for them for generations. Right? They're asking, they're saying, God, you're not sufficient. I want you to listen. This is Judges 2, verse 11. This just kind of paints a picture of what is going on in the society at this point. Beginning in verse 11 of chapter 2. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Right, these are false gods. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord, verse 13, and they served the Baals and Asherah. Verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, they were in terrible distress. So then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to the judges, right? for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. And whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of that judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judges died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because, of the, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers, and they have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. And in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did, and so the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and He did not give them into the hands of Joshua. Right, And so we see a, just a dire situation, right, where generations are going, hey, we, we know what God did for, for our ancestors, for our parents, and we're going we're gonna to ignore that, and we're going to do our own thing. And each subsequent generation right, is, is, is just having a difficult time. They're, they're losing battles. The hand of the Lord is against them. They're worshiping other gods. And so this is the scene, the historical kind of context of what is going on. And what we're going to see, right, is that this just becomes a cycle of the people of Israel. That they're going to do two things. They're going to accuse God of not being a good king. You'll see that in verse 12 of chapter 12. When you saw that Nahash the king of the Ammonites came against you, an enemy that has been left, you said to me, no, no but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And the second thing they've done is in verse 9. They have forgot God. But they forgot the Lord their God. Right? They've forgotten what He's done for them. When we forget God, it's going to lead us to sin. Because look at verse 10. They cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and we have served the Baals and the Asherah. Right? And so they have accused God and they have forgotten and forsaken him. And so basically, Samuel is kind of leading a trial here, and he's like, listen, if your accusations against God are justified, right, then God is condemned. But if your, if your accusations against God prove not to be sufficient, right, then there's judgment for you. Right? This is the way the Hebrew court system worked. If you have falsely accused, right, it's not just that they walk away vindicated, that there is then condemnation and judgment upon the false accusation. And so as we see this cycle, and remember, we're a thousand years from Jesus. We're going to continue to see this cycle of trusting God, not trusting God, the nation high and the nation low. There's a, an aspect of it that even this morning, we might want to just kind of throw our hands up, right? And go, fools. Like, like it's unbelievable that you could do this generation after generation. Um... But we know our affections ebb and flow, right? We know that we're not as steady as we would want to be, and that it's really easy looking back with twenty twenty hindsight to go, "Man, y'all were dumb," and they were, but but not because we're better, right? That it was—it's not—we're not steady because we're steady. We're steady because God is steady, right? And so our our affections—they ebb and they flow, they wane and they burn bright in small things and in large things. And for most of us, right, we don't walk out one day and go from being a Christ follower and just jump into some huge sin, right, that is horrific. Now listen, can it happen? Yes. Does it occasionally happen? Yes. But it's, it's rare that all of a sudden you would walk out and just go, hey, I think I'm going to have a false god today. Right? I, th- I think I'm just going to do something horrific today. What instead happens is we usually, we just begin to forget God. And we begin to take small steps away. And we become more comfortable with the culture and we become more comfortable with the things around us and we just begin to see our affections ebb and flow just steered um, just a little bit away. A little bit away. A little bit away. And then wait, one day you wake up and you're in the midst of some really big sin and you're like you're literally incredulous you're you cannot figure out how you got there like how did i go from like loving god to all of a sudden i'm engaged in all these things that seem so far from him and you're like i didn't jump and you're right you didn't but it was just small step after small step small decision after small decision and you're asking the question how did i get here and how do we get there through neglect right through taking things for granted We can see this even in marriage relationships, right? Like where there are times where I have woken up and and, um, my affection for Carmen is burning less than bright, right? And I'm going, man, what has she done to make me upset? And the answer, honestly, a lot of times is nothing, right? But what has happened is like you just begin to assume the relationship a little bit. You begin to take it for granted a little bit and you begin to quit doing the things that got you to where you were at right? And you're just like, hey, we're going to be fine. We're going to be good. And then you're just taking these little steps, these little steps, these little steps away. And then you wake up one day, hopefully prior to falling off into some sin and you go, why why is my heart not like a flame for you anymore? And it's not any one thing. It's just lots of little things over the course of a lot of days or weeks or months. And that's what Samuel is saying. Listen, Israel, this is what you've done. You have forgotten God. They have not forgotten. Like I haven't forgotten that I'm married to Carmen, right? I've just done some things that have not kept her in the forefront in seasons of my life, right? They have not forgotten that there is a God. They have not forgotten that he's their God. They've forgotten to to put priority there. They've forgotten to give him the worship and the honor and the glory that he richly deserves. They have presumed upon his kindness. And they've assumed that because they're a covenantal people, that He'll just keep them. And if we're not careful, right, we can do this in, in the Bible Belt of West Texas. We just assume we're going to go to church, we're going to raise our kids in church, we just begin to presume and assume upon the Gospel that, our, that everyone gets it and they understand it. So we'll say Jesus and people will nod and then we don't go any further. And this is what's happened, is the covenant has been presumed upon. So the question for us this morning is this. Where are we prone to forget? Right? Where are we prone to forsake God? What, what would be our bales? What would be our idols? What would be our false gods? And listen, we could go in a million different directions. But I, where I want us to, to land this morning in this is, is to look specifically at the fact that on Tuesday we're going to have an election. Right? So it's a, it's a nationwide thing. And so there is anxiety, and there is fear, um, there is concern um, over what's going to happen Tuesday, right? As we think about waking up Wednesday morning. And, and, and we can begin to mix into that fear, um, desire for power, a concern for our nation, all of which can be okay. But if they begin to take too heavy of a role in our life, then what happens? We, we forget that God is in control. And the truth of the matter is, is God is in control. And He is today. And He will be on Tuesday. And He will be on Wednesday morning. And not only is He in control, He's on the throne, right? Then the nations can rage and raise an angry fist at God. And he's not, he, he laughs, right? He's like, yeah, not concerned, right? There have been times where Jude's like, hey, I'm going to fight you. I'm like, okay. I, 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 I'm not going... And I better back up for a second, right? It's like, man, if you want to, bring it. You know, like, I mean, you're five, and and this is a foolish act, but if you feel like you need to throw a punch, right? Like, and and, and that is me with a five year old, right? I'm talking the God of the heavens. And when the nations raise an angry, raging fist to him, he's not up there going, I don't know what I'm going to do. He is on his throne. And He is in control. And nothing is wasted. And so would we go into Tuesday, right, knowing that, that nothing changes on Wednesday morning for the, the fact that God is the King of the universe and He's on His throne. So, so then we go, like, okay, we have some fear, we, we, we roll into politics a lot. Maybe Maybe that's not it for you. Your fear and your concern and potentially your false God is not the election, but the implications of the election, right? And you're thinking, Hey, there could be some financial implications for me based on who's elected president, whether my job's going to be here, what the the stock market is going to look like, what my retirement account is going to look like. And we quickly then run back to where we were prior to 1 Samuel to Philippians. What does Paul say? I've learned in all things to be content, whether in much or in lack. Now listen, none of us are running to lack, right? We're not going, bring me lack. But Jesus is sufficient. And those are not just words that we put right on a, on a coffee mug. He is enough for us. And He says, I see your frame, and I know that you are but dust. Right? He says that He knows us, and He knows our needs, and He cares for us. Do you believe that God cares for you, or do you believe that you have to grab on right, to the, the financial implications and hold on to it, right? and then you begin to turn your affection from God to concern for this, and then you begin to raise an angry fist at God because this is not going the way you want it to. Right? Like these are, these are places where we can forget or forsake God, where we can begin to put all of our time, our focus, our attention, our prayer, our energy into things that are not God. And we're saying, ultimately, I don't trust your leadership here. What were the people saying? God, we don't trust you to be king. Maybe, maybe, maybe the election—you're good. Maybe financially, you're not. You know, it's not a fear. Maybe the—maybe for you, it's more of like our freedoms. Like you're concerned that based on how the election goes, freedoms could be jeopardized. Right, the ability to speak freely. And again, we return to Philippians, where Paul is in prison and the mission is going forth, and the gospel is going forth. And Paul is not celebrating, going, "Yeah, I got arrested." But he says, Jesus is sufficient, and the gospel is going forth. And so whether they want to kill me, I'll go be with Jesus. If they want to let me live, then prison guards are going to come to faith. And the gospel is going forth, and the church is growing, and we're encouraged. Listen, let's not romanticize that and say, hey, yay, Paul gets to be in prison. That would not have been a place to want to be. And yet the ministry doesn't stop. And Jesus doesn't stop being on the throne just because freedoms are taken from us. We have brothers and sisters around the world who do not have the freedoms that we have this morning, who have never had the freedoms that we have this morning, and who have little hope that they'll ever have the freedoms that we have this morning. And yet the church is flourishing. It's flourishing. It's growing. God is faithful. Maybe for you it's not the election or financial impact or or freedom's um, impact. Maybe it's just comfort. Maybe it's just comfort, right? That you want to recognize the world right now as being the world that you grew up in. right? You want normal to come back. You want your beliefs and your values to rule the day because you're comfortable there. But church, what does Scripture tell us? This isn't our home. And if we get too comfortable here, our eyes drop. And they become about putting down deep roots here. Rather on the fact that we are called as sojourners, aliens who are traveling to the home in which we belong. Now listen, we're going to have homes and we're going to have families and we're going to have jobs and we, we should be wise in our finances and we should long for freedom and we should rejoice that God has... like. We're not throwing rocks at any of those things. We want those things to continue and we want the Gospel to go forth in them. But let's not equate the lack of those things for the Gospel being drowned out the gospel will go forth and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Right? So no election is going to prevail against the church either. And so we can be a people who are resting in the fact that our God is King and He is in control. And so this morning we nod at that and we agree with that. Man, can we, can we go to bed Tuesday night feeling that? Can we wake up Wednesday morning feeling that? Because it's just as true then. And where we are tempted to turn and to forget God or to forsake Him, would we say, Jesus, You are enough and You are sufficient. In verse 5, Samuel brings forth as one of the witnesses. He says, look, the Lord is witness against you and His anointed. Right? He's talking about Saul, the anointed one. We are a kingdom of priests, church. We have been anointed by Jesus. And so he is telling them, listen, the anointed one should rightly... Like if I've lived this way, Samuel, the king should live this way because he's anointed by God. He should rightly reflect the character of God. Church, would we know that moving forward, we, regardless of circumstances, should rightly reflect the character of God. We have hope and we have peace that is not dependent upon the circumstances of this world and people are going to be desperate for it. Why do you have hope? Why do you have peace? Why do you have joy? Right, That there are not just things that we, we, we throw around when things are good, but that we have them in the midst of difficult circumstances as well. And so he tells them, listen, verse 14 and 15, remember the covenant. Listen, even though you've gotten the king in a way that is dishonoring to God, verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice, and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you as a people and the King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. So he's saying, listen, there's, this isn't like a horrible situation. It's like if you'll just do what has been asked of you, and your King will us too, then you will flourish still. Verse 15 though, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, if you rebel against the commandment, of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And, and we have this scene then when he brings a, a sign and a wonder, right? And he says, listen, the rainy season is over. It's time for the harvest. We're probably in May or June. There's no more rain. And he's like, the Lord's going to bring rain and thunder to damage the crops today so that you'll know that he can work even outside the norms of nature. Right? Because you have not walked in the norms of your covenant. And so he's going to warn you here. And so then it thunders and it rains and it says, listen, um, in the end of verse 18, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. That is not a worshipful fear there. That's not of like, hey, we fear the Lord and, and that we want to know Him. It's like, we're going to die. Like, this is not good for us. And in the midst of that, we need to see their response. And look at verse 19. And the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For, if we, for we have added to all of our sins this evil we've asked for ourselves, the king. In the midst of this, listen, the sign and the wonder was not to impress them. The sign and the wonder was so that they would listen to the message. The message that's been consistent from the beginning from Mount Sinai, that God is going to be with them and he's, they're going to be a special people, but you've got to obey. But they were rescued so that they could obey, so that His name would be glorified in all of creation, in all the nations. And so what we see in verse 19 is a recognition of sin. Now, for the first time, they say asking for a king was the wrong call. We shouldn't have done that. Samuel, pray for us that he does not kill us. Church, what thunderstorm? is God doing in your life right now that you would recognize your sin? We don't like, we don't like this topic. But it is a severe mercy, right? It is, it's this like hard thing. When, when the loving kindness of God will take away from you something that you richly think you deserve, that you love to say, Open your hand and get rid of it so that you'll see me. So that you'll lift your eyes and see that this thing is going to lead to your destruction. And it's the kindness of God, even when it's severe, to open our eyes and to knock the thing out of our heart or out of our mouth or out of our hand. Just like last night, a lot of parents were knocking a lot of dirty candy out of their kid's mouth, right? Grabbing it from toddlers. Don't put that in your mouth. You don't know where that's been, right? Like, and that, that's, you, don't, you don't look at them and say, oh, you're mean for knocking the candy away. You're saying, no, that was a good, good, that's a good move, Mom. What is God doing in your life right now to remove false gods from you? Things that are making you forget and forsake God. So they're recognizing their sin. We need to recognize our sin so that we can hear the good news. Look at verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Do you hear how absurd that is? You have done all this evil. Do not be afraid. And they're, because they're terrified. They think they're going to die. And he's saying, Don't be afraid. You've done all this evil. It is absurd. Why is he able to say that? Because the Lord is gracious and merciful. Because we get what we do not deserve in Christ. Our sin is an affront, and offensive to God. And yet He pours out grace and mercy in Jesus upon, upon us. If you think of the cross, Jesus has the, the wrath of God rained down on Him like the rain and the thunder in this wheat fields upon the One who did not deserve it, who had lived a perfect, sinless life on our behalf. And He has it rained down on Him so it's not rained down on us, those who richly deserve it. We get mercy and grace because of Jesus. And they are being told here, listen, don't be afraid. You have done all this evil. right? You recognize it. You've done it. Don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And so this morning, if you look at your life, many of you can look down in in the past at a time where your sin was bright and rich before you and the Lord brought recognition to you and you thought, I'm doomed. And then you received a mercy instead. Some of you may be in that moment today. Or you may know someone who's in that moment today where their sin is ever before them and yet the kindness of God is washing over them. Romans would say it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's also His kindness to help us recognize our sin. And it's his kindness to us that Jesus was crushed so that you wouldn't be. And so he goes on. Now he's he's they've recognized their sin, they're repenting, they're hearing the good news, and so he gives them a warning. Look at verse twenty-one. So do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver. They are empty. These are the false gods, right? These are this, this is anything other than Jesus will not satisfy you ultimately. It will not rescue you. It will not deliver you. It will not give the promise that it makes. And he gives them another warning in verse 25. Listen, if you still do wicked, you will be swept away, both you and your king. He's reminding them, listen, God is offering mercy. In return, we worship, we trust, we follow, we obey. And if you don't, there is judgment. There, there is eventually wrath. And so either Jesus takes the wrath of God for you, or you will face it yourself alone. And you will be swept away. Why? Last thing, why? Why do they need to recognize their sin? Why do we need to recognize our sin? Why do we need to hear the good news and be warned? Look at verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake... It is pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. He's saying, listen, I'm doing this because I'm great. And I want the world to know it. And I want you to know it. And so I'm willing to knock things out of your hand. And to, I want you to see that I am sufficient and enough. That my name is worthy. And then I want you to live like you know me. That you've been transformed by me. So that the world will be drawn here to see my people who I've elevated. And they, would, they too would get the benefit of knowing me and my name would be praised and worshipped and glorified for all time. Why did He create us? To know Him, to worship Him. Why did He rescue Israel from, from Egypt in the book of Exodus? So that He would be seen as the deliverer, the rescuer. That they would know that they are loved, and that His name would go out amongst the nations. Why does He make a people or a church for His name and His glory? Listen to what John says in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you little children. He's talking to the church, to the believers. Because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. He forgives us. We don't taste the wrath of God in Christ, right? It, for those who know Him and trust Him and treasure Him and follow Him. For God's name's sake. Not for Redeemers, not for yours, but for Jesus' that He can take even the most incredible sin, right? forgive it, offer grace and mercy, and turn us into followers of Him who rightly reflect His character. And you bring nothing to the table other than a a willingness to receive what God is offering. God is gracious and He is faithful, church, but He is also fierce. If you see your sin this morning, repent of it. Whether you don't know Jesus, then you repent of it and you ask Him to rescue you. If you do know Jesus and you see your sin, you repent of it and return to the joy of your salvation. He is gracious to save, regardless of how ludicrous your sin is. You have not out-sinned the grace of God as long as you're breathing. That is good news. and It is good news for those that you know who don't yet know Jesus. Church, people need hope. And they need connection and they need peace. And we have it. It's been offered to the people of Israel for thousands of years. We are recipients of it because of Jesus. So this morning and in the weeks to come, would we not walk around like fearful folks tossed to and fro by every conversation in the world, but we would be rooted in the grace and peace of Jesus. We have hope. And not just for Tuesday, but for all of eternity. And Because we, we have a God who's in control, who is working in the midst of all circumstances. Nothing will be wasted. We are His. And if you don't know Him this morning, you're invited in. See your sin. Repent of it. And trust that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we... Confess that we need you. God, thank you that a book that is some 3,000 years old can speak with relevancy and depth because your word is alive to us today. So, Father, would we repent? Would you pour out severe mercy and kindness on us to reveal our sin? And God, then would we trust that you are there to give grace and mercy that we do not deserve and yet you offer freely because you are everything that we need, and you satisfy. Father, we want to honor you with our lives. We know that our worship is in these moments as we sing, but it's also in the moments that we live. Um, Every day, every moment, God, is an opportunity to rightly reflect you and your character, to know you, to serve you, to trust you. God, would you root and anchor us this week and every week. In Jesus' name, amen. At this point, we're going to stand and we're going to sing to our King who hears our prayer.